Now, if you step back and just take an objective look at what's happening right now in this moment, it's kind of weird. Why would 400 people gather together to hear what some city boy from Dallas has to say? It's, it's weird. But while I, in and of my own strength, would have nothing to offer this diverse group of people, wouldn't even want to try. God has given us his word, first of all. So we have that. That is our commonality. God has spoken. That's huge. Where would we be if God had not spoken? We have spoken. We have his word. Second of all, God called me to be a pastor. And then God's spirit has gifted me to preach. So that's the, that's the really only hope that we have of this working. Now, the gifting that I have, the calling that I have, is in that sense no different than what everybody else has here. Because when you read Paul's teaching in, second, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, when you read his teaching on spiritual gifts, you see that every part of the body needs the other. That we are one body serving and functioning together, and that one part of the body is not to be elevated over the other. Does God call certain people to leadership, and does leadership have certain qualifications as we see in Scripture? Yes, but leadership is service. That's what it is. And it's not a different service than the other giftings are. And what was happening in the church at Corinth is, is if you've been with us as we've been studying 1 Corinthians, uh, they, they just kind of made everything a battle. I mean, they had a knack for, for taking whatever was going on and figuring out how to be divided and cantankerous and argue over it. So it should be no surprise to us when you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which will be today, that as Paul begins his discussion on spiritual gifts, he's having to address the issues they're having in operating in their spiritual gifts. And as we continue the next couple weeks as God gives us life, we'll see that they were being arrogant and prideful over their gifting and using it to be divisive and even exalting themselves over one another, over a spiritual what? Gift. How foolish is that? They didn't conjure it up. It's not of their own making. It's a gift they've received, and they were using that as something to be divisive. And so I've, I've titled today's sermon, Spiritual Gifts, Part 1, uh, because really 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14, they all really work together in this discussion on spiritual gifts. So we'll, we'll be there for a few weeks. Now I want you to just get this image in your mind and then we'll get to the text. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1. Uh, if you've ever been to a symphony or a marching band, a high school football game and seen a, a performance band at halftime, you realize that all of those parts, the individuals, have to work together as a whole. And, and you realize very quickly the importance of that. Uh, also, as they work together as a whole, they're following the lead of the conductor or the band manager or someone that is standing there and they're waving that little white thing in the air, right? They're following the lead of that one person and they're working together under his leadership. And isn't it amazing 
how if you sit and everything goes off flawlessly, you just think, well, that was nice. But if somebody's music stand falls down, or an instrument is out of tune, or a pen rolls and falls on that hardwood floor, or a baton twirler drops her baton, what do you do? You focus immediately. It's just human nature. You immediately go to what's out of sync. Well, something's wrong there. i got to look at it. Right? So there it is with spiritual gifts, that God's given us spiritual gifts that we might pull together as one united body of Christ under the leadership of the Holy Spirit who is the conductor. And, you know, with the church at Corinth, I had several that thought they were their own show, and they were just causing disruption and disturbance to the beauty that God was trying to bring. And so let's see what we can learn through this. As we've been in our sermon series, Counterculture, we're, we're looking at how we can live for Christ in a world that isn't. And, and this church at Corinth, they were in a very heathen environment, and they had their own issues. But as they had hope, there's hope for us today. And so let's look at chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now let's pause at verse 1 for just a moment. He says now, so again, that's Paul's typical shift through 1 Corinthians. He's moving to another subject. We're leaving the discussion of the Lord's Supper. We're moving to the discussion of spiritual gifts. If you see in some of your Bibles, the gifts there is italicized. That's because gifts in verse 1 is not actually in the Greek. The Greek translates it as, it would be literally translated as spirituals. But later we see that he's talking about gifts. And so it's implied here in verse 1. Now concerning spirituals or spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now sometimes uh, knowledge helps correct an error. And sometimes it doesn't matter what you say, it's, it's not going to change. But Paul here, he's, he's saying, look, there's, there's some knowledge that you need. We, we need some guidance. We need some teaching in this matter. He says, you know, verse 2, that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols however you were led. Uh, I, I, dumb. I did not just say a, a rope or cuss word. That's not what I'm meaning here. Uh, the, the dumb idols, it's, it's a reference to they're unable to speak. They're, they're mute. He's saying, you know how you were. You went and you worshiped in, in the pagan temples of gods that were carved with human hands. And they couldn't interact with you. It'd be as if we took this keyboard that was made in a factory and we said, this is the God of music. Let us bow down and worship. And we had everything unplugged, and it couldn't even make a noise. But we worshiped it. Now, the other side of that, uh, with this pagan worship, was that they did have oracles. The oracles were the mouthpieces of the gods. So you would bring something to the oracle, and the oracle would give you a word from God. And I believe that they were, first of all, just tricksters. They were just using that for their own means, because if you're an oracle of a god, that gave you some privilege, some status in the society. But I believe also most often it was just demonic behavior. So what Paul is saying is, look, you know that you used to be this. You used to go worship these false gods that couldn't even speak to you. That was the life you used to live. And praise God that they've been freed from that, right? This just even speaks to what's implied here is the life-changing power of the gospel. 
Therefore, verse 3, he says, realizing your past, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This is why I brought up the oracles, because I think what, what is in the background here, there's, there's a lot implied here, is that what Paul is saying is that as you're worshiping, if someone says Jesus is accursed, that, that is not the Spirit of God leading them in, in this prophetic moment, in this oracle moment. But if someone claims that Jesus is Lord, man, that is the Holy Spirit. If that is true of their life, man, that's the Spirit of God prompting them in that. There's so much more to this verse than we grasp some 2,000 years later. Jesus is Lord was one of the first Christian confessions. And why is this so significant? It's significant because the Greek word that we translate into English as Lord here is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word, that we translate as Jehovah, saying Jesus is Jehovah in a sense. It's speaking of deity. Now, so that's the biblical background. Here's the cultural background. They believed that the Caesars or their kings or emperors were sons of gods. Depending on if you're in Greek or Roman culture, you either believe that your ruler was a son of a god or that that ruler became a god. As they died, they were they became a deity that you needed to pay tribute to. But the emperors were ascribed with deity, okay? So to say Caesar is Lord, which was a common thing that they said in Rome, you're ascribing deity to him. So Rome, they didn't really have trouble with Christians because at first they thought that Christianity was a sect of Judaism. Judaism was an approved religion of the Roman Empire, and they didn't have a problem with Christians until these Christians started saying, Jesus is Lord. Whoa, whoa, what? Well, no, there's C Caesar's Lord. No, 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 Jesus is Lord. So this is part of the context that Paul is addressing. Now, I need to peel back another layer for you. There are a lot of presuppositions that Paul has with the Corinth that he's not directly addressing in these verses that we need to get down before we continue on to the next, these three chapters. And that brings us to our first point today. First point today is this. Every Christian is given at least one spiritual gift. Now, that is the background to these first three verses of chapter 12. Paul is writing to believers who he's already had a discussion with them at other times about the Holy Spirit and their giftingness, and that's coming out. He's bringing it out more in these chapters. But what he's presupposing is a common knowledge that he has and that they have, that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been filled with God's Spirit, and God's Spirit gives you a spiritual gift. So that's presupposed here in these first three verses. Now, why, why does that matter? Well, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's not only giving you his Spirit, which is a gift, but his spirit gifts you to serve him. And, and, and that doesn't speak of a certain age. It's not like when you hit 13, you receive your spiritual gift. No, listen, children, youth, you, you have spiritual gifts that God's given you to use in service to him. And what I would say is if you've not found that spiritual gift and you're not using it in service to him, you are missing out on a significant part of what it means to be a believer, a Christian. You're missing out on a significant part of the Christian life. 
One of the things I've done this week is if you look in your bulletin, there is a link to a Lifeway uh, page that has three different things regarding spiritual gifts, including a spiritual gift survey. And parents, you might have to help your kids, but if you don't know what your spiritual gifting is, you can go there and there is a free spiritual gifts test that you can print and fill out, and it will help guide you in that. I don't know why, for some reason in the link, it has women. It looks like it's a part of the women's ministry, but men, don't be scared. It is a spiritual gifts test for men and women. I'm not really sure why that's in the description, but just go there, and you can do that. But why does this matter? Why am I spending time on this? Well, because <laughs> it's a significant part of you serving the Lord and living for Him. You've got to understand your giftedness. Now, a spiritual gift is different than a natural talent. Let me explain it this way. Maybe you have a talent at numbers. Maybe you're a math man and you're good at math, and you also have a talent for business. And so you, you are able to see investments that other people don't see, and you just have a natural talent to manage money and to make money. That's just something that you've always had. You've been able to see it's very clear to you. It's a natural talent that you have. Now, let's say that your spiritual gifting, though, is mercy. Is mercy. Most likely, how your spiritual gift will work with your talent is you'll be one of those people that is very generous to nonprofits. You may have 10 different children that you've adopted through Compassion International. And you support to your, your church, and you love giving scholarships for youth camp. And what you do is you take your talent for making money, and your heart of mercy is you want to help the underprivileged. You want to minister to the lost children that are in need. And so your talent that is natural and your spiritual gifting are working together. But your spiritual gift is different than a natural talent. We also have more spiritual gifts than are listed. There are more than are listed in 1 Corinthians 12. Some of the other lists are Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, Romans chapter 12, and there are other gifts. But what we'll find today as we go through this passage, as we continue through it, the singular number versus plural number, just look for it as we, as we walk through these verses, is used a lot, which is why some people say that each believer just has one specific motivating spiritual gift. And I'm not a hardliner on that, but I, I really can't, as I, if I just go with this text, I can't really argue against them. But that's why I've said, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have at least one spiritual gift that is your motivating, driving gift in you serving the Lord. Now here's where I want you to just engage your, your imagination and picture something with me. I want you to get this image of your spiritual gift because it's so much more significant than we, I think, readily realize. Ephesians 4 talks about Jesus dying and descending and then ascending. And in his ascension, he is leading captivity captive. He is triumphing. And so I want you to picture Jesus as this conquering Lord. Jesus has defeated death. Jesus has defeated hell. Jesus has defeated the grave. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, enthroned in glory. He is the conquering Lord of the universe. Do you see him there? And what Ephesians 4 says is that he has ascended on high, and he has given gifts to men. The beautiful picture of spiritual gifts in Ephesians 4 is this. 
is that our reigning Lord, our conquering King, has defeated our enemies, and out of the spoils of war, he gives spiritual gifts, the spoils of war, to all who say Jesus is Lord, to all who believe upon him. We receive the spiritual benefits of his victory. And so the gifting that I have is not something that I've earned. It's not something that I have twisted God's arm to give me. It's it's not something that I can sit back and say, look what I've done. It is the gracious benefit that my conquering king has divvied out to me as his servant that I might render service back to my king for his glory. Isn't that a great understanding of spiritual gifts? It points to the lordship of Jesus, that he's lord of my life and he has therefore gifted me to render the service that he wants from me. That's every believer, every one of you. Now, let's continue on. Verse 4. We've got to move. Verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. The word that we translate here as gifts is the same root from where we get the word grace. Speaking to which, again, I've already said it, it's God's grace. It's a gift that's given. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. Who is it that's working? God. God gives the gift, and God works through the gift. Do you see how little it points to us? Look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is what? Given. Manifestation singular, given singular to each one singular, for then the profit of all. So we have this beautiful unity and diversity thing playing out that we, we're each unique and we've each been individually gifted, but the only way you will really understand the power of the Spirit in your life working through your spiritual gifting and enabling you to serve God and fulfill the destiny God made you for is within the context of the local church. The local church is the bride of Christ. If you're saying you don't need the local church, you don't need the bride of Christ, you may have some issues that you need to work out with Christ. But it's given to be used within the context of the local church and for the benefit of, of all. It brings us to our second point today is this. Every gift is given for the common good. For the common good. And see, what the Corinthians were doing, as, as we'll see as we move on, is they were saying, oh, look, I've got this gift and you've got that gift, but my gift's better. Look how flashy my gift is. Look how showy my gift is. But it's so foolish to look at a gift and then boast at it. What's happening here in verses 4, 5, and 6 is a division. A, really, we see it in the book of Proverbs. It's a poetry thing. It's called the synonymous parallelism. It's where you're saying the same thing but with just a little different twist, verse after verse after verse. And so he's saying there's a diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. He's basically saying the same thing, but in a different way. And as you go through that, you see the spirit, uh, Jesus, and the Father are all mentioned in the working of the spiritual gifts. And that's 
what we call our Trinitarian formula. We see our triune God who is three but one and who gifts us all that we might serve together as one. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, and the Bible is much more than literature, but the Bible is beautiful literature. It's ama- some of the most amazing uh, things, that, uh, these books and, and some of the poetry and the narrative in Scripture is the most amazing literature that's ever been written. But I want you to think about this common good this way. Think of a, a, a dad that takes his three-year-old boy to McDonald's. What does a three-year-old boy want at McDonald's at lunchtime but a happy meal, right? Really, they want the toy, and then they just they want the happy meal to get to the toy, right? That's what that three-year-old boy wants. And so he gets his happy meal, and he has his fries, and, and he spreads out his nuggets, and he gets his little apple juice box, and he struggles to get the straw through, he gets his apple juice, or he gets his milk and spills it and gets a straw, and you got your drink, and you've got your nuggets, and you've got your french fries sitting out. And who's paid for all that? Dad has. Dad's driven you to McDonald's. Dad's brought you into McDonald's. Dad's told the people what you want because you can't even see over the counter. Dad's paid. Dad's helped you find a table, dad sat you down, you're eating. It's all about dad providing, right? It's a gift. Now, what if as you're eating, you're watching that little three-year-old boy eat, what if dad says, hey, can I have a french fry? What if that little boy says, no, dad, these are mine. Well, son, I drove you here. I know, dad, but these are mine. Well, son, I bought that. I know, dad, but these are mine. Well, son, you wouldn't even be here if it weren't for me. I know, but they're mine now. We, we readily understand how foolish that is, right? I mean, common sense, reason 101, you don't even have to go to college to figure that out. It's foolish. That is what a believer looks like that says, God has been so good to me. He has saved my soul. My whole life is about his goodness to me. He has given me the gift of his spirit, and his spirit has gifted me, and it is nothing I've earned, but it's all about his goodness, but I'm going to sit back and make it all about me. Isn't that foolish? That's foolishness. But we have a flesh just like the Corinthians do, and so therefore we must be on guard. But let's continue on verses 7 through 11, and we'll be done for today. So much here. So much here. Let's see. Verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit, we're picking back up where we left off, is given to each one, because I want you to pay note to these terms that are singular here. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit, okay, then, of all. So individual, but again, to the profit of all. Now, verse 8. For to one is given, one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the Spirit. So again, this is why some people argue that you have one spiritual gift. I can't say that they're wrong from this passage, but I do see, I believe, at times evidence of of multiple spiritual giftings. But what I don't see, because this is contrary to Scripture, is I had one lady in a church I was at in a Sunday school class I was teaching on spiritual gifts. She just blurted out, well, I believe I have all the spiritual gifts since I have the fullness of the Spirit. I was like, well, you, in my mind, you know, I'm thinking, well, you obviously haven't read your Bible, number one. Uh, number two, 
No. <laughs> Number three, 1 Corinthians makes it clear that you don't have all the gifts because the Bible teaches that we each have a gift to then contribute to the body. If I had all the gifts of the body, I wouldn't need you. That's contrary to the teaching of Scripture, right? So, so he's saying, look, we each have a gift, but again, it comes back to the common good, what we're doing together. So as you continue on verse 8, to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit. There's our commonality. That's what binds us together. To another faith by the same spirit. To another gifts of healings by the same spirit. I'm going to come back to some of this. We're going to, we're going to get into more of these spiritual gifts and some of the specifics on them in the coming weeks. But I had to kind of pick what I could get to in one sermon here. To another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. We're going to get more into tongues in the weeks to come, but we'll see as you go through 1 Corinthians 14 that Paul forbids any speaking of tongues in public worship unless there is an interpreter. And so 99% of what people claim are tongues in churches are absolutely unbiblical and out of order. Then verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things. Going back to verse 6, who's working? God's working. But the same Spirit works. It's the Spirit working all these things, distributing to each one what? Individually as who wills. He there are those I know that believe they can ask God, they keep praying, they ask God to give them a certain spiritual gift that's a sign of the Holy Spirit. That is contrary to the teaching of Scripture. The Holy Spirit distributes a gift to each one as who? He wills. And we do not know better than the Holy Spirit. It's not my job to say, Holy Spirit, you know, I could really serve you if you'd give me this gift. No. That's what the Corinthians were doing, and then they were boasting about the gift they claimed to have received. But the Bible makes it clear that it is God who determines the gifting that you have, because God in of infinite wisdom knows what he made you for, the role you have to play in his kingdom, and so God knows best how you need to be gifted for the service that he made you for from before the foundation of the world. Amen? There's great comfort in that, isn't there? And there's great comfort found in the fact that I don't even have to know what gift to ask for. I just know God gives me what I need and my job is to submit to him and use it. What if I had to figure that out? The only way I can really serve God is if I figure out the right combination of gifting, then I can really serve him. I'm, I'm too dumb to figure that out. I need God to tell me what I need and to show me how to use it. Thank goodness his word says that's exactly what he does. And so that brings us to our third and final point this morning. This is really more of an introduction to spiritual gifts. This is laying the foundation for the weeks to come. And that is this. Every gift is given according to the will of God. According to whose will? God's. And that's good enough. Because God knows what's best for me. He knows how he's made me. And he knows the service he wants from me. So I can rest in the fact that God has gifted me 
for the service that he wants from me. There's great confidence in that. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have the gift of wisdom to have wisdom. That doesn't mean around, well, I don't have the gift of wisdom, so you can just go around acting like a fool every day. Okay, that's not what that means. James 1 says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives generously. But there is, there is a difference between that everyday need that God supplies and a spiritual gifting. And, and we'll see that as we continue on in the weeks to come. And again, it is God who is working for his will, according to his will. I want to just touch on healings to close. I have a story for you. Um, because modern day Southern Baptists, a lot of them believe that what they call the power gifts have ceased. And there are those that take a real hard line on that. I believe that to some degree that is an overreaction to an abuse on another side. And this is where I always go with what the Bible says over a systematic theology. Systematic theologies are good because they help us organize belief systems. But when a systematic theology has four beliefs that are in line with the Bible and then they have to add the fifth because it makes sense, that's why I break away. And so there are times I'm okay with saying, I don't understand this. And I'd rather say I don't understand it than put together a system of belief that's broken. And, and I don't totally understand what we call the miracle gifts, the sign gifts, the working gifts, uh, the miracle working gifts. Uh, but there are those that say, and, and John MacArthur is one of them, and very, very well-educated spiritual people that I greatly respect believe that once the canon of Scripture was closed, that there are no more miracle gifts. If that's the case, why do we ever pray for healing? We should just quit doing it right now. And they have arguments back and forth with that. But again, I think that the hard line they take is because there's been abuses on the other side, especially with the modern tongues movement, where people have gone to an extreme to say the sign that you have the Holy Spirit is that you're filled with the gift of the ability to speak in tongues. And then that means anybody that can't speak in tongues doesn't have the Spirit. Well, well that is a gross gross misunderstanding of scripture and so again when you have these extremes usually the, the truth is found somewhere in the middle uh, Paul Paul had people that he healed he raised back to life handkerchiefs were taken from him and people were healed okay that, that's pretty amazing right but there are also times where his own traveling companions were sick Paul had a thorn in his flesh that God would not heal. So how is the one that's a healer not able to heal his friends? Because it is as God wills. The healing does not reside in the will of the person, but in the will of God. I had something happen this last week that I believe was God bringing to my attention because this is how he wanted me to close the sermon today. I got a phone call about Joan and Max Isaacs. Jonah and Max Isaacs were at my church plant in Princeton, Texas years ago. Jonah and Max at that point were in their late 60s, about to turn 70 right in that, that time. And they had their kids who were in their 40s and their grandkids who were teenagers in, in our church. So three generations of family in that church. And Joan, uh, well, 
what was happening at this time was that God was doing some unusual things and that we had several people tied to our church that were healed in miraculous ways that only God would receive the glory for. I'll give you an example of one. Wednesday night, prayer meeting. I'm leading a Bible study with some adults. Somebody says, I've got, I've got an urgent prayer request. I'd like us to stop and pray right now. I said, okay, what is it? And she said, I know so-and-so that's a friend of so-and-so, and she's got a baby that was uh, just a couple months old, and they've had complications, and this baby's in critical condition, and, and the baby may not even make it through the night. And they've asked if we'll pray. Okay. We stopped and prayed for healing for that baby. Honest to God, I got a phone call the next day. So-and-so wants to know if she can come and meet our Wednesday night prayer group next week because her child was healed the very hour we were praying. But that happened. That's for real. First-hand, this is not second, third-hand story, first-hand, it's all that. And we had several things like that that happened in our church plant. And then Joan Isaacs, sweet lady, uh, sweet lady. Man, in fact, it puzzled me why they were coming to church at first because we had, I mean, the purpose of our church plant was to reach people in our community that, that weren't being reached in some traditional ways. And we had some electric guitar being shred and all kinds of stuff going on that some of the older generation would not like, but we were reaching people. But Max and Joan came, and I kept thinking, man, this, they seem kind of, you know, square peg, round hole, doesn't seem to fit. But they said, we, you're reaching our family, and you're reaching our family's friends, and we love what's going on here. Okay, well, great. Not every church is for everybody, I get that, but they were there. And they wanted to see people reached with the gospel. And we were doing it. But then Joan got diagnosed with lung cancer. Never smoked, lived a healthy life, godly lady, has lung cancer. It started to get worse. It started to spread throughout her whole body, got in her bones. She was doing chemo and radiation. I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to go and pray with her every week. And so every week, sometimes it got missed if she had a doctor's appointment or something happened. But, but for about six to eight months, regularly, on a weekly basis, I went by and I knelt by her and I prayed for healing for her. And I remember she got to a point where it was so bad, she had blisters in her throat from the radiation, she could barely swallow water. She was so weak, it was difficult for her to get from the bed to the couch. Max, her husband, was sleeping in their closet on a, um, a twin bed in their walk-in closet so he could be right there close to her. And she had gotten to a point where she was talking to me about funeral arrangements. Was it okay to be cremated? Do I want to be buried? She's all this, these were our conversations, okay? It was about dying. And I'd pray with her, and I'd pray for healing, and I'd leave. The doctors said, you're not responding to the chemo. You're not responding to the radiation. It is completely overtaking your body. Your entire body cavity is eating, eaten up with tumors more than we could operate on, and they sent her home to die. No more treatment. Just we're going to try to keep you comfortable. It's It's time. Month went by. She was still alive. In fact, she seemed to be doing better. It was weird. She went back for a doctor's appointment. I believe it was the second month from that diagnosis to go home and die. Went back the second month, and the doctor came in completely flabbergasted. Miss Joan, I don't know how to explain this to you, but you have no trace of cancer anywhere in your body. Amen? I mean, don't tell me our God is not still working miracles today. 
I got a call from them this week. I got a call from them this week because Max had been diagnosed with lung cancer, her husband. 82 years old, been a smoker his entire life. Every time I'd go over to see them, he was usually out at their out at the shop smoking, would smoke 15 cigarettes in the morning just getting going. Navy man, oil field worker, had a ranch in Winsboro and uh, got lung cancer and it got him so bad from the time he was diagnosed to the time he passed away a few days ago, it was barely a month. It took him fast. Max, uh, they were in Georgia and he just wanted to get back to Texas before he died. He was a true Texan, so they drove him overnight in an RV so he could die in Texas. And he wanted his family to call me and tell me something. That when I was his pastor, I said something that stood out to him and I did not realize became one of his life sayings. This is what I said. I said, life is simple. Read the Bible and obey it. And that stuck with him and that became one of his life sayings. And then after I left, it really got in with him and he began reading his Bible And he was on an aggressive reading plan, sometimes reading his Bible through multiple times a year. And his kids told me that from 70 to 82, he grew in his faith more than he had the first 70 years of his life. And that he asked God, God, if you'll help me quit smoking before I die, I just want to be free of this. He had been in bondage to it his whole life. And he started tapering down, and he had his last four days on this earth free from that addiction. And his family just called and wanted me to know that. Now, let's step back for just a minute. Why was Joan healed and why did Max just pass away two days ago from the same type lung cancer? I don't know. But I'm perfectly fine with saying, as he wills. Amen? Would you please stand with me? If you're here today and you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is exactly what we invite you to do today. To step out from where you've been living and to say, I'm ready to follow in the steps of Jesus. To know his spirit and the gifting of his spirit and to serve him. To know him. To be his. Maybe you're here and you realize that life has become more about you than the prophet of all and you're missing the power of God because you've not been operating your gifts. And maybe you just just say, Lord, I want a fresh and a new commit. When I leave here today, I'm going to do that spiritual gifts test and I'm going to figure out how I can be serving for the common good. Man, what a great place to be. Maybe we can just commit ourselves a fresh and a new to say, Lord, you've gifted me not for me but to serve you and So I just, once again, yield myself to say, whatever that service looks like, your will be done. But however the Lord leads, let's respond and let's give him the glory for it. I'm going to pray. I'll be down front. One of my elders will be down front. As the Lord leads, let's respond.